All right, so we're gonna we're just gonna cut the mids on this podcast episode. We're gonna boost those those bases and reverb, baby, drench it. <laughs> we're ready to go. <laughs> Hi, this is Joe April, Invisible Oranges. We have Ted Newbell. Hey there. We have Brandon Corsair. Good evening. And Langdon Hickman. I'm normal now. <laughs> not the Buddha, not the Joker. No, it wore off. No, I'm better now. Uh, okay. Uh, right. Yeah, no, I'm better. <laughs> no transcendental uh, issues. <laughs> um, I don't know even why I said that. Um, no, my psyche's returned to Earth. Okay. Anyway, we are here gathered to talk about the fact that um, even at the time that you may hear this, it'll been about almost a full year since the COVID-19 pandemic started and well, in really the lockdown that accompanied it started. Um, as a lot of venues were either voluntarily or involuntarily had to shut down about mid-March through to about the beginning of April of 2020. Um, so now, and that has been the case for most places in the world. So it's now been about a year of no shows. Um, so let's talk about that. Uh, Ted, uh, let's start with you. Yep. So we're recording this on March 13th and literally March 13th of last year, March 13th. Okay. Um, that was the day I was going to shoot my first show for Invisible Oranges. So I think I talked about this on a previous episode too, but, um, you know, I had kind of gotten into IO at the beginning of 2020 with the idea of doing a lot of show photography. Cause I've been doing that in Chicago, kind of locally speaking. So, uh, you know, it was going to be 313 was going to be the first show I was going to shoot, you know, as an actual press photographer in the pit or what is, whatever the term is. Uh, and it was going to be at this uh, conservatory in our, in the city. So kind of like, you know, like, um, nature, like kind of venue, it would have been pretty cool. Cause it was going to be, uh, Ohm woven hand. And then a local band Hunchman who I really like who had just released an album. I think it actually was like that day was going to be the release day. Maybe it's like a week off, but anyway, so that was all really great. And, you know, in the weeks leading up to this day, a year ago, I think we were all kind of seeing things like, Sort of like, you know, that stuff in a horror movie where they play it and they show like dramatic music over it and you're like, oh shit, that's bad. But we're all like, eh, it'll be fine, you know, probably not going to get bad, you know, it'll be okay. And it was not okay. Um, and lockdowns kind of came into place like just around then. And so now it's like, wow, we were fucking stupid thinking that we'd be back in like two weeks with shows and stuff. But uh, it was not the case. So, yeah, I still haven't shot a show for Invisible Oranges. I haven't been to a show in over a year. Um, and I think there are some shows now starting up, but they're in extremely limited situations. You know, like, who is it? Fuck. Uh, Flaming Lips did, like, the bubble show, which is, like, some some real hipster bullshit where they had, like, bubbles for everybody. Um, you know, there's a couple <laughs> of things where they'll be, like, you know, reserve seating. But really, for the type of shows that we're used to, it's not going to happen for a while. So that's kind of where we're at. So I guess uh, Brandon is, is kind of someone more in the musician space than than anyone else here right now. What has your experience been like for the last year? Bullshit. It's just fucking <laughs> yeah. bullshit. 
Um, so one of my bands was supposed to tour with one of my favorite death metal bands, which is Drawn and Quartered, who I'm a really big fan of Drawn and Quartered, and we were going to do a tour. And obviously, not only did that not happen, but our drummer ended up joining Skeletal Remains um, during the pandemic year. And so now when stuff starts up again, we're going to be having to coordinate with his touring schedule for Skeletal Remains, which is, you know, obviously it's an amazing opportunity for him. And when he asked us like, hey, is it cool if I just sacrifice all of my time to living on the road with Skeletal Remains after the pandemic, we told them, you know, fucking go for it. That's killer. But I'm kind of bummed that I'm probably not going to be able to reschedule this tour that the pandemic kind of just took away from me with one of my favorite bands. And, you know, I had two albums drop with different bands in 2020 that I wanted to play shows and play festivals and tour to support and was not able to. Um, I had I was going to finally make my way out to Maryland Death Fest, and I'm bummed that I couldn't do that. I was going to finally see Merciful Fate, and I'm bummed that I can't do that. Yep. Um, I mean, there's just this infinite list of minor annoyances all the way up to like, God damn it, now I'm never going to get to do this for me for the pandemic. Just related to shows, like everything else aside. And, uh, you know, I, I used to go to shows, you know, at least two or three times a month, sometimes more. So it's been... It's been a real adjustment not being able to rehearse, not being able to play shows, and being stuck at home. <laughs> my my relationship with shows at this point is almost more in a more in a realm of existential terror. There's a, there's two two bits of that. One is that like for a long while growing up and then into adulthood, like shows were sort of like a happy little safe space where it's like you know you grow up in certain areas where there aren't I grew up in semi-rural Virginia there aren't a huge amount of metalheads especially people who are into like weird experimental extreme music um which is what it is you know it's, you know it's a niche thing but like when you don't live in a big city that limits the amount of exposure and like you know real bonding time with it so shows were always this, this really big nice thing and then not having them has I think part of it has also been modified by my um, my experience with the virus where I've had like friends that have had family members pass away or friends contract it and then develop long term health problems where it, people in their like 20s or 30s. And now they basically have heart problems like they were in their 60s um, that unlike other people, I'm not excited to get shows back because frankly, the co the like the covid terror is still there. Like even when we have vaccines, part of my brain's like, will I feel comfortable going into a show environment, even if everyone's vaccinated or will this like linger and be this anxiety inducing thing? Kind of like the first time you go to like a real extreme show and there is, you know, like a grindcore show or, or something like that. And there is like a very serious pit. And you're like, oh, shit, like I can really this is a small environment. I could actually legit get fucking hurt in this thing um, or the claustrophobia of a show or something like that stuff that you get over over time. But like, I don't know, I'm still at the point now where I'm staring down the barrel of that and I'm trying to like will myself even even if at the end of this year people say it's safe, like would I feel comfortable doing that when I still get kind of jittery going like to the grocery store and stuff. 
it's also a little bit different because my day job is like um, is customer facing. And I've had to work through the entire pandemic just to, you know, continue to pay bills and stuff like that. So I haven't unlike other people who have had the difficulty being sequestered at home the entire time, even for very good reason, like obviously we should have had a more robust lockdown. We should have had more robust subsidization of that kind of stuff, but we didn't. Some people are feeling that desire, like I need to get out and do this stuff again. And I'm on the flip side. I've been forced to be out in the midst of the pandemic for its entire duration. And the idea of going into a more densely packed stuff with more people doesn't sound like a dream to me. Like I and and that sucks because shows mean so much to me, like. Getting to see Opeth for the first time was this monumental thing for me. Getting to see Isis for the first time was this monumental thing. Checking off Cannibal Corpse and Napalm Death. And now I'm looking at, like, even if Merciful Fate came in, would I... I don't know. It sucks. Because <laughs> it sucks. Yeah. I get your point about the excitement. Yeah, like, there's, like, the risk factor there and also just, like, a risk versus reward thing. Uh, you know, in Chicago, for the last few months, I've been seeing you know, excited Facebook posts from, um, you know, people posting about how some tribute band is playing in some dumb as fuck bar out in like, you know, the sub, like the rural suburbs. I'm like, yeah, I don't want to die for that. I wouldn't go. even if there wasn't a pandemic, but I would definitely not go and get a yeah. get COVID seeing like a ZZ top cover band. Please fuck off. <laughs> that would be a hilarious way to die. Cause it would feel like it was from like, worth it. like a, I feel like a novel or something like that. Be like, yeah, I saw a Rolling Stones cover band uh, and then I died because of that. <laughs> like, it's like something it, it's from the stand. Like, right. Yeah. I, I mean, if anyone remembers, I think when like Sturges still happened and they had all of these. I can't even remember who it was, but it was kind of like lame bands that like even after the pandemic, if that was one of my first choices, I'd be like. I'll wait a month or two for something good. Um, so, like, I don't, I don't, I don't need to have beer dropped on me that badly. Um, <laughs> and it's like, are, are people really, especially because like something like Sturges or something like that, where it's like, it, partially it's nostalgia for people who were there in the 80s or the 70s. It's like, you're in the age demographic where this is most likely going to hurt you and you're going to risk it for this. I actually got COVID and it really blowed. You wait, did you just say that you actually had gotten COVID? I got COVID during the pandemic because despite being a mechanical engineer and having almost my entire industry working from home, uh, the boss at my previous company uh, was a pretty big COVID denier. And I lived Mm -hmm. in an area that was very conservative at the time. And so they weren't actually enforcing California's lockdown. And so I worked through the pandemic up until January when I moved to Seattle and got a different job and I got COVID at work and it was pretty God awful. I was bedridden for like two weeks. Jesus Christ. The only good thing that came out of it is that I got to watch Future Man as an uninterrupted block. And that's your rules, right? I knew that that was, I knew it was the show for me right from the (laughs) second that the main character this the one of the the secondary main character was introduced by being cummed on. I knew that I was gonna, <laughs> I was going to love that show. That's the one positive uh, that came out of COVID is I had time to sit down and fucking watch that show. 
that, that sounds Jesus, like a very that, interesting show that uh, you, you're gonna. One of you guys are gonna have to link to me later. It's a Hulu so original. Good. So fucking good. <laughs> I'm sorry. To it's hear so that fucking funny. To you, Normally, I hate prestige TV and stuff, and that one I was like, well, that one's not prestige. It just slaps. But I never had. I've never had yet any symptoms that made me think. I clearly have COVID and and there were one or two times where I did get tested and it was negative, but I, I still have this lingering suspicion either very early on that I had a mild case or at some point in between testing, I had a mild case. Um, Cause there have been weird things. And again, it's sort of like, I don't know if it's just because like I'm less active because I'm not traveling and walking around as much. But there, there have been some things happening to me, like physically, where I'm like, is this side effects from COVID or is this just like me not treating my body well enough? I, and I and I kind of don't know. And I'll be curious to find out, um, you know, when I, when I feel safe enough. I mean, I've generally been avoiding going to see a doctor because barring anything really feeling like an emergency, I don't want to be where sick people are. Um. I've held off going to the dentist for about a year, um, even though I really probably should get looked at just because I don't want to be sitting around with my mouth open for an hour. And and it, especially in Los Angeles, because it's been so bad um, here with the rates and everything. Oh, I would have died if I got it a couple months later, 100%, because I had to go to the ER mm-hmm. and there was, uh, you know, a couple months later, there was no ER beds. And, you know, I... Yep. I find it pretty horrific that just because L.A. got overwhelmed, like I would have croaked from what was a relatively mild case of COVID. You know, I was bedridden for a couple weeks. I had to go to the ER a couple times, but I was never like on a fucking ventilator. And I still probably would have died just because there was no hospital beds. And so it's like, you know, not not to scare you anymore about your (laughs) risk reward analysis, but, you know, people better fucking get vaccinated before they go to shows and stuff or they're going to have a real bad time. That that actually is what what hits on an element of this for me where it's almost like the the anti question about this for me is that in one thing that has driven me up the wall a lot is this sense of seeing people talk about like well when this is gone, you know, what will you you know xyz and feeling almost that that kind of mindset contributes uh contributes a lot to some of this kind of strain. I'm very much a, um, this sounds grim and dour, but I'm very anti-hope. Um, right. In the practical sense, it's, it's more on, it's more on the stoic end that sometimes by doing that, we deny ourselves accepting and then processing the state of our reality by continuously giving ourselves this dream of like, well, when COVID's over, I can't wait till I can do X, Y, or Z again. And you try to tell someone, what if we can't, what do we do then? Let's, let's try to build towards this. And instead people go like, well, no, I can't do that. I have to remain hopeful. And it's like, no, we need to figure out these other things because if Because obviously we know there's a lot of like conservative dipshits, uh, for lack of a better term, who just straight up denied this shit, put a lot of people at risk. Still do. Got Brandon sick, which is driving me fucking crazy. Um, Yeah, and cost half a million people. Like we can't – we're obviously a metal 
site. This is a metal podcast, so this is not the best place to get that kind of stuff. But we live in the world too. half a million dead. That's like cartoonishly evil. It almost you almost can't process it. But there is at least some amount of culpability, obviously not nearly as much, but with people who sort of put themselves on the hook of like, well, I just want to go do yoga again or I just want to go do you know, X, Y, or Z. And it's like, we all do, we all do, but we all need to accept that we can't until this is dealt with. And sometimes the, it's healthy to be like, well, you know, you know, I want to look forward to something, but you have to, you have to internalize that, right? It can't be that you look forward to it to the point where it becomes a temptation to do something fucking stupid that can hurt you or hurt other people. I I think something I've observed, and obviously I think being socially distance and I mean kind of not to the same extent Langdon has with having a job that's very face to face with the public uh, I have been since May of last year at my office and off and on we've had staff there so I'm certainly at more risk than if I was just purely working from home um I mean I I work in my own room and no one else goes in there and everyone has to walk wear masks if they're in the hallway that said, I was just going to point out that, you know, we're talking about the stuff we want to get back to doing. And we're almost exactly a year ago from the cancellation of this really killer festival in Greece. It was Up the Hammers and Riot Act, which was a bunch of guys from, you know, the old heavy metal band Riot from the early records that were going to play, you know, all of this killer early Riot stuff. And just a little bit after that fest was canceled, it was like the very first big fest cancellation due to COVID. And it was supposed to happen like a week after the lockdown started. And one of the guys from Riot Act, one of the uh, Louis from the original Riot who played on Fire Down Under, he died from COVID like right after that almost. And so it's like, we talk about things going back to normal and we're excited to have stuff happen again. And we have the, the, the people who have died are not nameless just because we don't not, might not necessarily have any family members or friends that died, even just within the metal community, there are things that are lost that will never be able to be replaced that we were maybe looking forward to exactly a year ago today that now can't happen because the people involved died from COVID. That's why, like, I think about especially King Diamond, who had dealt with some very serious health issues um, and is now in his 60s. And, you know, we are so lucky to have him back in performing and recording shape. And he sounds fantastic again that, like, I don't care how bad anyone wants to see him. I don't want to see him at risk. I mean, obviously, I don't control him and, and his own choices about his body. That's that's his own thing. But like the idea that someone else could potentially be like, well, I almost missed my shot. So I want you to like no one here is doing that. But I just the thought of anyone being like, yeah, the real bummer of covid is I didn't get to do X, Y or Z. And it's like, no, it's the half million dead just in America. That's it's not even counting global numbers. It's been interesting seeing again not in person having conversations with everyone, but mostly through social media, seeing how people react, have been reacting to this for a whole year. And definitely in the early stages, it, I feel like 
I'm sympathetic to people who have even said things kind of like the examples you said, Langdon, where people are like, well, I'm mad at this. Like, how dare I not be able to see this? And it's like, I'm sorry, you see not all the people dying and getting sick and <laughs> right. everything around you. Um, I am a little sympathetic time in, in place removed from it that I think we were all going through the different stages of grief in terms yeah. of our lives being very much transformed. And certainly I think some of us were people at different stages of those of grief and sometimes conflict happening where you're interacting with someone who's at a different stage. Like if they're still angry and you're accepting it, like your acceptance is just driving their anger. <laughs> and it all sorts of situations like that. Like I definitely have friends and, and unfortunately probably a few people who no longer consider me friends because we've had arguments about this. Um, and it's just, it's been a wild thing because it's, yeah, no one has ever been in a situation where it's like, it's not anything on your part that you can control, but all these things and expectations, which I think is, is something that wounds people very psychologically, um, being taken away from you, that you have these expectations for the upcoming year. And especially as metal fans or any kind of music fan, you usually, you know, events are a big deal for you, in-person events. And you invest money in these things ahead of time and you expect it to happen. And I mean, certainly not, we're, I was just going to say with yeah. Brandon and I, we've both traveled abroad a number of times to see these things. And those are huge investments. Um, but yeah, I, and, I, I think we all realize that mortality does outweigh that. There's, there's a deeper thing to that as well that I think that sometimes people can view that as maybe like a flippant thing of like oh well you just missed a concert but they miss that so anyone who's dealt with serious grief or stuff dealing with with addiction or like severe mental health issues any number of different vectors for this you learn pretty quick that people are built partly on social interaction and validation and partly on futurity like the sense that this is why as people age, they get obsessed with things like their legacy or having kids or, you know, any number of vehicles for that. Um, like we we psychologically need in some way both the connection to the past and what feels like a connection to the future. Sometimes those are as simple as just plans like, oh, you know, me and me and my partner are going to go on this trip on this day and that's going to be nice. Sometimes they're bigger, like I'm going to retire on this day or, you know, my kid's going to be born or, you know, any number of things like that. But it helps us stay immersed and connected in an environment that can feel very alienating and isolating without that. And so, yeah, it's it's profoundly difficult for people to be thrust into a situation where especially for as long as we have, where we were told off the jump, there were a number of voices that are like a lot of the things you've been looking forward to are going to go away. And frankly, they're going to go away for a hell of a lot longer than you've been told they're going to go away for. And honestly, some of them won't come back. Some of them will only come back in very different configurations. Like I, I'm still convinced that we're not going to go back to a live music world that we had before. Like, period. Not just that venues will be gone, as certain venues or certain bands will be gone, but just that, like, touring and shows will not happen the same way. Because, like, the long-term mental effect, because that's the other thing. We're looking at the fact that COVID 
COVID isn't going to leave. We aren't going to drive it extinct. It's going to become part of our ecosystem and things like the vaccine are going to be ways to keep it in check as much as like the flu or pneumonia or things like that are kept in check, but where there's still serious problems. And so obviously we don't know what the shape of that is. Um, I don't know. I <laughs> I have a partner who uh, study. I'm, I'm pointing at them again and I forget that people can't see this. If for those of you that are psychic out there, you can see me pointing at my partner. Um, they study like biodefense and epidemiology and stuff like that. And so I get certain like perspectives on this stuff from there where it's, I don't know. It like, <laughs> sometimes I hear people even just like, oh man, I can't wait till I can go, I don't know, like hang out with my dick in a public park or some some shit like that some like whatever and i'm like i honestly i'm gonna be surprised if you can ever do that or if it's within like five years or something does ted have anything to say it's been a bit since we've heard from ted there yeah i think uh well two things i think give us the ted update (laughs) i think one thing that's been especially annoying about this is that like there's been a lot of people that um not really denied it, but just kind of don't want to talk about it. Um, and especially like the political climate that made it what it is is mm. you know, that's kind of part of this thing. Like, obviously there's, there's always going to be an impact, but it, it was worse. And so I remember, uh, Langdon, when you wrote your frozen solar view at the end of it, you kind of talked about how it was a really nice album to have kicking off 2021 talking and kind of about like, uh, accompanying like the shift in from a chaotic political landscape to something less bullshit. We got hate mail about that. I don't think I sent it to you, but, Multiple people were like, why are you politicizing this review? It's like, dude, it's fucking 2021. We've been in lockdown for a year. Everything is political. Like, we're not going to write right. a review about death metal that's, like, completely about death metal, okay? Like, I, like if I can, if I could very briefly get on a very short but very, very dense uh, soapbox. <laughs> One, so it, like, not to say the cliche that everything is political, but, like, Dumb fucks, dumb fucks who read our website and other websites as well really need to wrap their heads around this. They really need to do this. We are people in the this. You're not a dumb fuck. Just (laughs) quick PR cover there. We are (laughs) Pete. That's true. We are people (laughs) in the world first. That's that's before we write about music. That's before we make music. And because we're people in the world, we witness and experience and think and feel certain things. You can't write about music and not write about politics the same way that you can't write about it and not write about personal experience or emotions or things like that. These are all part of the same bubble. You don't get to have one. If you own, In fact, especially for people who like extreme stuff, this should cut deeper. If you want one of those taken away, you're a fucking coward. Like, you're just a fucking coward, and I just don't respect that. Like, you, we can disagree. That's a thing. But, like... I also think whoever wrote that hate mail has just never read anything from Langdon before, because it's like... Right? I'm that's sorry, not new. You know? I'm not, <laughs> like... It's not new from you. It's like, you're allowed to not read things in my byline. That's why we put bylines on. Sometimes it, that that's fine. But, like, what, you think I'm not going to talk about 500,000 dead from COVID just because it's a metal website? I don't know. I think about that about as much as I think about heavy metal because it fucking sucks. Anyone that listens to heavy metal and then also says, why are we talking about politics is a fucking poser who should be shunned from the scene. Black Sabbath invented heavy metal. What do you think War Pigs was about? 
politics right. have been a part of heavy metal since fucking 1970. And to pretend like now that you don't like the politics being discussed, it's time to withdraw from the conversation is just being the snowflake that you accuse the people you disagree with of being. It's it's not it's everything from the pandemic to discussions about racism to you don't like thrash bands singing about how much they fucking hate, you know, or hated, you know, George W. Bush. I mean, it's like this was always a big part of the dialogue within metal. And if you're pretending that it's not, it's because you're a fucking coward. I mean, there's and you, you're probably not as big a heavy metal fan as you think you are. Yeah, it's like if you want your pol- your heavy metal to not touch politics, do you also not want it to touch personal experience? Do you not want it to touch emotions, memory, um, history, culture? Like, because these are all bound up with nothing each other. but witch tits. And at that point, what the? F- it's like, what the fuck uses heavy metal then? If it can't, if it can't touch any of these other things, what? What's the fucking point? Like, why do we make art if it's like, yeah, I make this literally to not be related in any way to anything a human has ever experienced? So, blood incantation. Okay. <laughs> no, that's different. Yeah. I have been abducted by aliens that made me the Buddha. That's different. Yeah. We all um, like witch tits, guys. I, 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 I I mean, Witchfinder General yeah, had I, it I right. I definitely think I. Um, <laughs> wait, who had it right? Witchfinder General. I mean, we all we don't need mm. politics when we have witch tits. I mean, let's be real here. <laughs> Te- technically, that's true. Witchfinder General did did give us some some true insights on that matter. God, those albums rule. I was just going to say, uh, General Grayman, I, I think we can nitpick particulars on that, but I think that's kind of a conversation <laughs> for another day. With, with I mean that that yeah that's that's the reality of politics stuff is that we're going to draw those lines differently, and that's how that's just how that works. Um, I think. Two ways to go with this conversation. Um, We didn't talk too much about sort of our last show experiences. Um, So I think that's something we could talk about here. Or if we want to, we could, because we did tap at it, um, discussing, you know, where shows are going to go in terms of the end, you know, the rest of this year and into next year. I had two shows that happened kind of back to back right before the pandemic started that I want to talk about. First one of those is I had my heart broken seeing Tyrant open up for the mighty Ross the Boss. And so Tyrant, for people that aren't aware, was this classic 80s heavy metal band that put out some of the best goddamn heavy metal ever. Like Too Late to Pray is a perfect album. And so they were joined by Rob Lowe on vocals for their last album after kicking out their original vocalist, Rob Lowe from Solitude Eternus and Candlemass. And their, their, their first live performance back was so insanely bad that it has become a running joke in L.A. And so I saw them open up for Ross the Boss, which is, of course, Ross the Boss from Manowar performing classic Manowar songs. And so that part was super killer. But I am still haunted by how bad Tyrant was because I just love I love Tyrant so much. I love Solitude Eternus so much. And it's truly a tragedy to me that that had to be one of those last notes was seeing Tyrant just be awful. 
It's like paying someone to beat the shit out of your dad. Was was that the, was that a tour or a one-off show? I, I don't remember for Ross the Boss. I think he was touring around a okay. little bit. Then I saw that, and then I, I saw... I remember missing... Well, no, I was going to say, I, I remember Ross the Boss touring, and I missed that show, so I'm wondering if that was the one I was going to attend. Was it at the Whiskey? No, he, they played at uh, some bar in uh, Orange County, and it was super... I mean, Tyrant sucked, but Ross the Boss was super killer, and they did all of Hail, Hail to England, and their vocalist oh, fuck yeah. is fucking dead on. It was so good. And then the other show I saw was the exact opposite of that was I saw my buddy's death metal band play to like 10 people in a bar in downtown LA, which was my buddy, Andrew from ripped to shreds that he brought down ripped to shreds. And so I had to talk my wife into that one because we eloped a couple of years ago, but our actual wedding was the week before the lockdowns. And so we, we did miss our honeymoon prepaid, not getting that money back sidebar. Very sad. No honeymoon, no money. But so I had to be like, hey, you know, I really want to see my buddy's band play. I know it's the weekend before the wedding, but how how do you feel about me ditching you to hang out in downtown L.A.? And so then we didn't know that much about the pandemic yet because it was, you know, this was late February. And so Andrew was feeling a little sick. And so there was a lot of in the, you know, in hindsight, not very tasteful jokes about either him giving us COVID or us getting COVID in downtown LA that uh, in hindsight, it's really lucky that none of us got fucking COVID from that. The, um, that, 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 that's crazy. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, I, I think we could do a whole episode just, just having you retell all of that. Um, you dealt with so many bummers related to this. I mean, seriously. thankfully that one d- wasn't potentially fatal, but yeah, the whole like losing all the money on your honeymoon. God, I'm like, Jesus Christ. It's like, what did Brandon do? Why, why is this happening to him? I had an interesting year. Yeah, the, the gods were giving you suffering. I had a good At year least and a bad through year. suffering comes wisdom, I guess. Like, At least good stories. For me, it, it was interesting, especially kind of when COVID was starting to appear and kind of be like, oh, this might be an issue. Like, I, I re- the last, technically, I think the last show I saw was Church of Misery. And I forget who was opening. They were, they were touring. And I had missed, I think a show with them before. So I was very much like, I, I got to go to this. And COVID was kind of happening and it was sort of like, uh, should I go? And and I was like, well, I, I think I'll be fine. And that was probably the last time it was ever like other than a grocery store or something like in a very kind of tightly packed group of people. Um, there was a fun show. Great. Um, but I do remember there was a little bit of like dark humor of like, Oh yeah, you know, let's see what happens. <laughs> Um, the funny thing is technically it wasn't a show, but I think the weekend before, uh, kind of, and I've talked about this before and, and anyone who's a fan of the band will murder me for, because <laughs> technically I was the last person to see Sirithon Gold play live. Um, because I got invited to do an interview with the whole band. Oh, and again, killer. this, this is when COVID was happening. And even there, we were kind of joking. Like, I, I think I sh- shook someone's hand and they were like, oh, you got COVID now. Um, <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, it, everyone who, who's not seeing Brandon's got a poster there of um, 
Not Frost and Fire. Uh, God, the second King album. of the Dead. Um, King I'm of the a Dead. huge fan. I've seen him three or four times now. Sorry, not not to derail. I just I'm. Uh, <laughs> I've also interviewed them. At, I really love them. I mean, we yeah. all love Sierra Bungle. That's just that's you, classic shit. Were you there at their first reunion gig at the? Um, of course, I was. Yeah. Yep, I was there. That was that was something. Waiting with um, bated breath to see if Tim would suck or not. Oh, I know. <laughs> I talked to everyone. I, I talked to even other metal musicians who were there and who were like, no one knew. It was like, it was just like, yeah. is it going to be great? Is he not going to be great? What? Then, you know, as soon as they hit the stage, it was like, fuck. It was like, it was like how does he sound better than he did in the 80s? It's he, like, it what was the like, fuck? It, it was like aged wine. I was like, oh my God, this is better than any expectation I had. Like um, we mentioned this with Entombed, yeah. but I listened to that and I'm like, how the fuck is this guy going to do this for decades? And then he, yeah. <laughs> like, he sounds like he's, he's like gargling glass. Yeah. It got a little, but. his voice got a little bit deeper, which is the funny thing. Cause like even in the early days, one of the difficulties in getting Sirithungal was, was the vocals. Like it took me a while to get into it, which, you know, for anyone who, who's had that experience of hearing King Diamond was like, what the fuck is this? And then eventually he's the biggest fan <laughs> ever of them. You know that experience, you hear a vocal and you're like, what the fuck? And then like five, six months later, you love it. And Sirithungal's definitely that, but, but Tim's vocals have aged very well in, in how they've changed. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I did an interview for IO. Um, still, probably one of my favorite things I've ever done. Hell of an interview. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and sure enough, they just out of the blue, I wasn't expecting, we're like, hey, we're going to do a rehearsal for a festival gig we're doing in Germany, which never happened, uh, where they were going to play the whole new album all the way through and then some old tracks. Do you want to sit down and watch us? Or keep it and true. I was like, yeah, yeah, uh, I'll stick around. So I. You know, so fucking jealous. Holy fuck. <laughs> I mean, I saw I saw yeah, him so that, a bunch of times, but that's I didn't. I mean, holy fuck. I was upset that I was going to have to miss that. Keep it true show. It's uh, that's killer shit, man. It was something else. I've yeah, those guys are really nice. And, and certainly when things open up or one of the top bands I want to see live again. My last show, meanwhile, was a while ago. I, I don't even it was it was well before um, well before the lockdown. I've, I've gotten a lot more infrequent with shows recently, despite living near D.C., just because I have between working a full time job and then doing a bunch of writing. And I have, you know, my my literary podcast on one end and then, you know, uh, we're doing this one now. It just quickly became like. You know, you only have so much time and how do you want to spend it? Um, but I have really, really been liking the push towards live streams that I've been seeing and not just to push towards them, but a lot of the innovation I've seen in terms of presentation for them. Like, I'm not the biggest uh, Code Orange fan, just to just be mild on it. Don't mean to hate on them. They got their own thing and clearly it's, it's working. That's fine. <laughs> we have a writer who's going to kill Langdon for this. <laughs> Um, but, but I think that at least in terms of the way that they approach the visual medium of like, if we're going to do a stream, why don't we like do something with it was really awesome. And it pushed a lot of bands in the right kind of way. Cause then we saw enslaved do a set of streams that were fucking awesome. That was so fucking good. Um, 
there is an upcoming show that's actually being broadcast from St. Vitus. Um, actually, I think it just happened um, of Horrendous and uh, Sepidus. I'm I'm the, stoked uh, the, to see the decibel thing. I think so. I think it, it's either this Friday or was this past Friday um, from when we were recording. But seeing that kind of stuff where it's people embracing one, it, it can be a way to drive revenue back to venues because that's the other thing of not just bands, but keeping venues open of if you stream from there and you sell digital tickets, then having that split um, between bands and venues to help keep things afloat, help keep like venue staff afloat. Um, it's been a really nice way to bridge that while also keeping some of the visual components, because like that was one of the hardest things to bridge is if you're going to do things like streaming or distanced concerts, do you want to see me play my guitar in my chair? Like not, not really like that. That's dope on like a DVD of the making of a record or something like that. But if I'm paying money to see you, it's, I don't know. Um, so to seeing bands, break break ground there and figure out ways to navigate that has been really exciting because it gets me as close as I feel comfortable to having that kind of thing. And that seems like a sustainable thing also going into the future while we're heading into the question mark territory of how many people are going to take the fucking vaccine and we'll take all of the doses of the vaccine and shit that shouldn't have to be question marks, but are that this feels like a comfortable way to bridge that gap. As the kind of guy who really likes live albums, you know, I I bought Unleashed from the East not once but twice because the first version didn't have Perfect. the bonus seven inch. You know, <laughs> the I really like live albums, and so as much as I'm not necessarily down with all of the bands who are suddenly doing these live streams, it's been really cool for a few of them getting high quality, basically live in the studio recordings from bands maybe even doing old material that, you know, we, we wouldn't have gotten otherwise. Like Rotten Christ did a, did one that they just called like old nineties songs or old days songs or something that is like, it's like the dumbest title. And it's like, it was them doing songs up through Triarchy, the lost lovers and that's it. And they stopped there and it was just like fucking first three albums. And this live video is fucking amazing. And we wouldn't have gotten that if not for the pandemic. So as much as I hope that the there won't be shows talk is false pessimism, it is nice that we have gotten some really fucking cool recordings like that out of all of this. I hope that it pushes bands in a different kind of direction with live stuff as well, because when when the live touring world was, you know, roaring up, it, this is truncating a lot of a lot of different approaches to crafting a live set and stuff like that. But you ran into so often, especially bands that are road dogs. They're like, we don't want to play a bunch of our old stuff because we've been playing that a billion times. We want, and we're excited about our new material. We are trying to sell a record. Like it's not, we're not out here just for fun. We're also trying to, and all those things play into crafting a set. Meanwhile, you get, we've been getting a lot closer to things like dream sets, partly because and this is what I was about to say before as well. Bands are as hungry to play as people are hungry to see a band play. And this puts us, while I hate the thing that put us in the situation, like I really fucking wish that this could have happened literally any other way. The fact that people are seeing like, oh, the kind of stuff that we just joke around with. What if we just play, you know, some like 
some old death metal songs we think are, are sick and aren't, you know, maybe we didn't even write them. Maybe it's like an entire cover set of just here's us goofing around with songs we think are cool. People want to see that. People are fine with that, especially if it's like this one time thing. We're streaming it so everyone can see it. Then, you know, what if we play this record, which we haven't played in a bit? Sure. Not all that huge of a time commitment. We don't even have to tour the entire thing. Put it together for one show. We're good. Um, That's been super exciting for me because because you mentioned before, sometimes there are bands that you really want to see. And if you're. Um, if you're if you're an annoying type like me, where you're like looking at setlist.fm uh, and like going like, oh, do they change the set list every night? What you know, what are they playing? You can sometimes go like, well. You know, I'm an adult. I have a million different things on my plate. Maybe I'll pass up this one that. I don't know. Suddenly I'm like, oh, no, I, I, I like I, I want to see all my bands that I enjoy doing this because I legit. Like, oh, this guy's going to do like a fucking aha cover in the middle of his fucking set. That's that's tight. I just want to see that. You know, it's with the idea of what the future is going to hold for us. It's I think it's fair to say we're in sort of this weird space now where, again, like even a couple of months ago, it's just sort of like, don't even think about that. Like, because it just <laughs> any light at the end of the tunnel seems so far off that. Don't even think about it. And I've been relatively uh, in, you know, relatively tame with my expectations and hope. And I've been oddly surprised at how quickly things are moving along. Um, quicker than I thought. Um, so it's this weird place where I'm like, maybe some things could happen. Like, I don't know. It's it's a very weird thing because like I'm in certain groups for like certain events. Like the, the big one is I'm in like a Facebook group for Psycho Las Vegas, and that has been a very interesting look to seeing like fan bases in terms of how people have been freaking out or very pessimistic about expectations because that's one that still hasn't been canceled yet. And we have seen festivals in the U.S. and especially in Europe canceled all the way from you know, April all the way to September. But with the latest expectations we're hearing about in terms of vaccine availability come May and, you know, projected pushes for things by the time of July, there is people having genuine hope for things like that could happen in August. Um, I mean, even, you know, outside the idea of shows, I, I mean, I suppose... You know, in the States, the main hope right now is that enough people will be vaccinated or if you're vaccinated, you could gather with family members for the 4th of July and be relatively expect to be relatively OK as long as everyone's vaccinated. Um, hey, Joe, I got a sidebar for you when you get a chance. Uh, no, 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 yeah, go ahead, Brandon. No, this is like a real sidebar if you have uh, stuff to talk about. uh should probably do that no, I, first. I was just going to keep on going. It's just it's it's weird. I I don't like. I'm pulled in two ways in that I, I'm generally someone who has sort of a pessimistic side and an optimistic side, and uh, you know I I, I kind of don't know what to think. Um, I I am I guess leaning on a certain amount of optimism, maybe more than Langdon, in that. Um, I, I kind of feel like if we can just get to that 70% of herd immunity, 
with vaccinations that we could mostly be back to normal. But yeah, I think that was that would be the what I had to say about that. So yeah, sidebar, let's go. Sidebar, did you make it out to Psycho California that one year that they did Psycho as a fest as a three day fest in California before they moved it to Vegas? Yeah, actually, I think that was the only year I went to the California iteration. That was where, if, like, Pentagram and yeah, uh, Bedemon, yep, Bedemon, the only Bedemon show ever. I there too, so I think we were. Is was Langdon the only person that wasn't there? Yeah, I actually didn't see Pentagram. I did see Bedemon though. Um, that was just because Pentagram was the last day, and I was so fucking burned out from everything that I skipped the last day. That was such a killer fest. Uh, yeah, no, that was. I think that was the first time I ever saw Sub Rosa live. Sub Rosa is um, so goddamn good. I miss them. Uh, yeah, I, I love that band. Um, yeah, that was that was a great fest. And I remember after they switched to Vegas, people were like, "What are you going to do a California fest again?" And we're like, "Oh, we'll get to it." And they did kind of do the. They have the psycho smoke out, which which is not the same thing. It was it was just stoner bands mostly. They had that bullshit fest that fell through. Well, and our our former no. <laughs> our former editor in chief Andrew went to the first one they did of that in 2019, which is actually the first time I ever met Andrew. Um, I, I actually didn't attend, but I did. I picked him up and we went and got a late night dinner at Cantor's Deli. Uh, that was fun. Big ups for Jew food as a, as a Jew. Big ups for <laughs> Jew food. Jewish delis, man. It's it's some of the best late night food there is. Um, some of the best, best food, food there is. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like yeah, duh. Yeah, yeah. No, you invent yeah. the fucking Reuben, you get you get a crown. You get a crown. You get to keep they that eat crown. Locks. I mean, I mean, it's great for it's Eddie Turin band. Like I'm in L. A. Like Candor's is open twenty four seven. So it's just like whatever time, just pop in there, fuel up before you gotta head out. That's like that's the one big thing about shows that I miss a lot, which is specifically less less just the seeing the bands, although there are certain like magical moments. Like when I was um, when I was seeing Gorguts live and I'm watching the opener and I look next to me and there's Colin Marston, but just <laughs> just in the crowd, just fucking yeah. like totally getting into the band. And I think I think um what was it? Uh, I think the guitarist was also with them just sitting. Stay. Kevin Huffnagel was just staring up at the opening band, too. Then, you know, shaking Luke LeMay's hand afterwards and just like telling him like, oh, you know, I you mean so much to me. Your music means so much to me. Um, the little things of like going to the bar or during like Maryland Death Fest, going to get a bite to eat in the middle of it and then striking up a conversation with just a random person where as much as there's as much as there's sometimes a needless amount of combativeness online, sometimes it's fun. Sometimes it's fun to just piss off people and, you know, have some dumbass arguments about records. That's, you know, whatever. Um, yeah. And uh, other times it's oh, more, maybe a rise, for example, yeah, sometimes it's more serious and dumb and you're like, dog, you got to calm down. We all, but <laughs> those, those little moments of camaraderie, you're just sitting and getting a piece of pizza and you look at someone's shirt and you're like, man, that band rules. And like, yeah, they fucking rule. Did you see this thing? And you're like, yeah, mm -hmm. that like sometimes yeah. friendships, life, lifelong friendships. It all comes from that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's one of the big reasons that we is it, metal one of the good reasons i should say because they're dumb bad annoying reasons but one of the decent reasons that metalheads will wear you know shirts and stuff around is more 
when you see someone be like, oh, you know, I know about, you know, them, especially if it's something you've run into before, it becomes this immediate bonding thing. Um, and, you know, missing that kind of like little intimacy. Yeah. The uh, the bassist in one of my bands was a guy that I met because my wife was going to go to a show or to go see Satan with me a few years ago. Mm. And Damn, she couldn't rules. make it. She couldn't make it. And so I had an extra ticket. And so I literally I sold it to some random guy in front of the venue for, you know, what I bought it for. And we stayed in touch and he's the fucking bassist in one of my bands now. And it's like those little or like I met, uh, you know, I'm super big on heavy metal and I'm super big on Demon Bitch, who I think are probably the best heavy metal band that formed after the after the tens. And I met them because. I was at a fest that they were playing and I struck up this conversation with this guy wearing a root shirt going back into the shirt conversations. You know, you see a guy in a root shirt, you go talk to him. And we chatted for like 15 minutes. And then I was like, yeah, I'm really looking forward to Demon Bitches set. And he was like, good, because we go on next. And it's like, oh, like <laughs> that fucking rules. <laughs> you know, that kind of I definitely miss that kind of thing. I've made so many friends over the years just talking to random assholes and cool shirts or random little interactions. And it's like, I've also had a lot of fucking bad experiences. Oh, yeah. Like when I, when I went up to talk to some guy in a thy mighty contract shirt and he had never fucking listened to thy mighty contract only liked the worst years of rotting Christ. And then got really <laughs> mad at me for not liking Meshuga. And it's like, you know, sometimes you have those bad experiences, but the good experiences totally outweigh it. You should like Meshuggah, though. He he wasn't he wasn't wrong there. Although he could have handled it in a more enlightened awful. manner, which is well, which is awful. like when you, when you see a rat and you don't you don't get mad at the rat for not knowing how to do calculus. You're just like, oh, I wish he knew how to do calculus, and then you move on. <laughs> I mean, one of I will. <laughs> he lives never, in a wet hole, though. So <laughs> there there have been multiple examples, but I mean, one I will never forget is the first time I ever traveled to Norway, and I knew. One person was a friend of a friend who I met in Oslo, but then I go to Bergen for the festival. It was um, the last Blast Fest, and I went because it was all Norwegian bands, which I later found out was a way for them to cut costs because apparently there were some financial <laughs> shenanigans with this festival, which uh, subsequently talking to every Norwegian, they're like, yeah. Um I mean, as a foreigner, it was a cool thing where it's like, I'm going to go to Norway and I'm just going to see Norwegian bands playing. That's kind of cool. Um, and, and the big selling point was when it was like, oh, by the way, Red Harvest is getting back together. And so is In the Woods. And I was like, I have to go. I have to go. Um, it was also the first time I ever got to see Abbott play live. I'd never seen Immortal. It was all these bands, just like even the ones that people don't really know about. Ancient played, newer bands played, like fucking uh, the death metal band Reptile. Um, Reptilian? Yeah, yeah, that's what I meant. Reptilian. Yeah, um, killer band. Oh, yeah. Like, just I, I love any kind of autopsy worship, and they did it so fucking well. Um, it, it, there were a great variety of young and old there. Um, but I go and I know no one and I'm there at the opening night, which is in the basement of like the main of the, um, the main bar, which unfortunately is closed now. And I'm forgetting the name of it, but the main bar in Bergen. Um, and suddenly I get a tap on the back of my shoulder and it's uh, 
this guy and he's just like, oh, you you were at a Maryland Death Fest? Because I was wearing a Maryland Death Fest t-shirt. And he was like, yeah. And it was like, oh, I used to go there with a couple of years and we started chatting. And he's one of my best friends now, I'm Dave, from who lives in Ireland. Um, and I've seen him a number of times since going back to Europe for various festivals. And I think I did bump into him. He came over to the States for another Maryland Death Fest. And even then through him, like he introduced me to other people there. And I made probably 20, 30 friends at that festival that week. And it was all because of Dave tapping my shoulder and going like, dude, Maryland Death Fest. I mean, I even I even met a guy. So I, I've been involved on Twitter in a lot for a long, 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 long time. And so I was doing like this Twitter meetup in like 2011, I think 2011, 2012. So a while ago um, and meeting up with some people in D.C., going to a bar, um, drive up to to meet one of the guys who lives just outside D.C. And we go to Metro in together. And as we're metroing in, I'm trying to, you know, I'm anxious i was dealing with bad social anxiety so i was listening to some stuff on on my phone and he looks over and he's like oh what are you listening to and this crowd tended to like a lot of like uh, the smiths um like Mm -hmm. contemporary like like indie rock and hip-hop and electronic stuff and you, you know all stuff that's also good but i was like i think i was listening to either the mantle or um or uh ashes the other um uh, the uh, a Gallic record from right after. And I'm like, oh, I'm just listening to this band called Gallic. They're just, you know, they're they're a metal band. And he's like, oh, do you like Emperor? I I legit he's wearing a button down <laughs> shirt and like khakis. And I'm like, yes, do you like? And he's like, yeah, yeah, I, I really um, I'm, I'm really like like I am the Black Wizards. It's just like one of the best songs I've ever heard in my life. Although I do think that like their last two records get overlooked by people i mean they don't sound the same but you can clearly see and i'm like what the what the fuck what is happening legit just (laughs) like for the rest of the night we just ignored everyone else we're just talking about extreme metal now it's like yo so like which celtic frost records your favorite and he's like well to make a there uh uh, to make a theory on is obviously you know really sick one but like morbid tales and i'm like "Uh uh-huh (laughs) uh-huh like just these out of no and like we've been in contact since I found out he actually um like he's been a long time uh, customer at the place where I work now, but wasn't then. And I only found this out when I switched there and I was I was filing some uh, some paperwork because they do some like like accounting accounting and stuff there. And I saw his email address on something. And I was like, what the f-? And I double check and like, yeah, this is a guy who I've, who traded black metal demos for my doom metal stuff. And I'm like, yo, that's really like, cool. I'm the one packing your order right now. Just that's so killer, man. <laughs> that like the more that I think about it, the bits that, I mean, obviously there are bits about shows themselves that I miss like that. Seeing, Yob open for enslaved and getting to see both of those guys back to back. It was Yob on the uh, tour for um, to clear a path and enslaved on in times. And just the it felt like this profound spiritual event, um, just, you know, intensely meditative, intensely like spiritually eruptive. Obviously, I miss that stuff, but. It's all these other things about like the positive end of the community, which, again, not to belabor a point that I think we're all aware of um, and that we've talked about in other places. But the metal community can be very toxic, especially to people who don't 
look like us, like if someone's a woman, if someone's queer, if someone's trans, if someone's, you know, brown. Yeah, exactly. Like any number of things. Um, And the more you become aware of that, the more, especially if you love heavy metal and don't fucking hate people, that becomes more and more painful to hear because it's like, I don't want you to make people think this thing that I love hates them and doesn't want them in it. You fucking prick. Like, um, that these these positive bits start meaning so much more and like oh this this reaffirms the thing that i love about it this bonding thing this sense of safety this and like that's the deeper thing that i miss from shows god i miss it's, that part uh. <laughs> it's it's kind of funny you mention that because one of my favorites this had both one of the probably the most negative and one of the most positive things ever in the same event is I went to Destroying Texas a couple of years ago. And so this year that I went to Destroying Texas was also the year that PBS was following like a very significant neo-Nazi leader that went to the same festival. And, you know, there's, this is, you know, it's just part of the metal scene is there's a fucking lot of Nazis in it. And it's, it's just, it's no joke. I mean, you could find the news yeah. article where PBS was talking about you know, PBS is obviously not very focused on metal, and they're talking about <laughs> following this fucking neo-Nazi leader to destroying Texas, which they mentioned by name. But then it's like coming back from that, and like I saw all these fucking chuckleheads at the fest. I also saw some very killer sets from bands like Hell Witch, Mortuary Drape, mm. Uh, mm. fucking just so many killer sets. But then I get back, we're getting out of the plane, we're about to, me and my buddy are about to hop on the Uber back to his house. And the guy in the car has a fucking has a fucking metal shirt on, sees our shirts, and he goes, Oh, are you guys going to see Sabat tonight? And we're like, dude, we just saw Sabat in Texas. And it's just our fucking Uber driver. And you know, it's like <laughs> it's just like the most fucking killer experience, like driving back in this car, and it's like just fucking talking about obscure metal and stuff and all the fucking punk bands he saw in the eighties. And that I rules. I miss that I, I shit. Found out- I found out that a local of my uh, a local of my shop was in this thrash band called Medusa that I'd never heard of before, but put out like one record called Snafu. And I forget the name of their first record all in like the very early 90s. They're not on Metal Archives, um, but he's I've like listened to some of their demos and it's and I only found that out because I was wearing like a Dark Angel shirt. And he was like, oh, Dark Angel rules. I, you know, I've, I've, I've met Gene and I've, I've and I'm like, what? What? And I'm thinking this guy's just making stuff up. And then he starts talking about like, yeah, no, I signed to I signed to Metal Blade, you know, with my band in 1990. We weren't very big, didn't sell too many units. So I'm like, yo, this, ah, this rules. Like, definitely miss all that, Uh, you know, especially because I was doing a lot of local photography uh, in the year before. So that was a great way to kind of get connected to my scene and led to some good interviews, even for some IO stuff I did. Um, would have led to more, you know, if I was still doing stuff. I guess maybe I'll close out uh, with my one of my last two show experiences, which is in uh, February. So I went to see Midnight Dice and Throne of Iron at a hipster cafe in Logan Square, which is already a hip area of Chicago. And this was like fucking like obviously wood floors, like everything's like that. But like, you know, kitschy little signs on the bar and everything completely full to the fucking gills with. Uh, people in battle jackets, you know, for Midnight Dice, which is essentially some of the people from Satan's Hollow. Um, 
and Throne of Iron is like an Indiana band. So like, you know, completely full, even kind of had that a rules. little bit of a pit going on in this tiny fucking like half of a cafe. The other side is literally like a cafe, you know, and it's the bar side, just completely leveled by, you know, dudes in, in battle jackets and shit. Uh, definitely a unique experience. Thank you for listening. You can subscribe to Screaming Bloody Oranges, the Invisible Oranges podcast via Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Podbean, and other streaming services. We'll make a post on our website at www.invisibleoranges.com to accompany the release of each episode. Visit us anytime for more in-depth heavy metal coverage that goes a step above and beyond.